0: Welcome to The Latest on the Law, a podcast of the Boston Bar Association. The Commonwealth's premier legal association, the BBA, is home to over 15,000 members and 140 institutional partners consisting of law firms, corporations, government agencies, legal aid organizations, and law schools. Visit us at bostonbar.org to learn more. Everyone, uh, my name is Rochelle Jones. I am a staff attorney at the Volunteer Lawyers Project. I'm the lead housing attorney in the housing unit, and I work in the Appeals Unit as well, and I'm going to pass it along to my colleague to introduce himself.
1: Hi, I'm Adrian Kos. I am also Staff Attorney at the Volunteer Lawyers Project um, in the Housing Unit and uh, Bankruptcy Units.
0: We're so great to have everyone here today. Thank you. Uh, So this is just our unit. We are actually the largest unit here at the Volunteer Lawyers Project, um, which just consists of the three attorneys, as well as the three paralegals. And then we have our outside um, consulting attorneys, but it's the six of us, which is still kind of small, but we are the biggest unit here. So VLP, um, we kind of differ for a little bit from other legal aid organizations, just in the fact that, you know, we're just a smaller staff, as I had kind of mentioned before. Um, you know, we help with civil cases. So, you know, I, like we said, Adrian, and I work in the housing unit. I also work in appeals. He also works in bankruptcy, but we also offer a consumer unit, employment, family law and guardianship, um, unemploy- uh, wills and estates as well. Um, so those are just some of our other units. We also focus on recruiting and training the private bar, so we're always looking for volunteer attorneys for all of those those units, Um, and our volunteer attorneys, you know, typically come from, like, private firms or solo practitioners or retirees, and, you know, in any event, in any case, um, we are there to provide that substantive support and guidance throughout the entire case. So our client population, um, before you know, we can assist a client in any aspect, and um, I apologize in advance if I say client or tenant, that's because I work in housing, and even though I work in appeals, most of our appeals cases are housing as well, so I may refer to our clients as tenants. Um, but essentially, before we offer any type of service, they do have to be screened for eligibility and just meet VLP's um, case priorities. So for example, for housing, our priorities are really um, eviction defense, but also, you know, sometimes tenants just have housing issues where they're not being evicted, right, but they're just having issues with their landlord will assist them as well. So your value as a pro bono attorney, there's this really long quote um, from a major housing decision, but essentially what has been going on is that in housing court, Um, You know, especially in Massachusetts, there's no right to counsel when it comes to civil cases. So what the court is seeing is that, you know, a majority of plaintiffs who are the landlords, um, which could be your individual landlord or your property management companies, but they're mostly represented and tenants are not. So tenants are often, you know, in housing court having to put on evidence and present arguments to the judge or jury on themselves. And so that's why it's really important that, you know, VLP and other legal aid organizations Come in and assist where we can, but also why we really strongly encourage um, our volunteers to join us and just help tenants, as for the most part, they're up against attorneys on the other side. Um, so it just continues, you know, your value as a pro bono attorney. Um, summary process eviction in Massachusetts is very complicated um, between statutes and rules. Um, and so, like I said before, for a pro se tenant, right, that's really difficult to um, figure out, especially when you're going through that emotional strife with, you know, your eviction is at stake, your housing is at stake, um, if you have a family, and so forth. So it's really great for our um, volunteers to take on these cases and defend our tenants. And continued, um, you know our pro bono attorneys are able to just guide and reassure litigants um you know i will say although right ten, some are well majority of our clients right they're not attorneys they don't really know the legal jargon but they are the biggest voice in their own case right they they can't tell you what you know certain defenses are classified or titled but they they know what's going on they know they have conditions issues in their home and and etc we'll definitely get into all of that a little bit later um but the attorney you know like in most cases you know you'll issue spot based on what the, the facts the client provides. Um, again, advocating for them against these experienced landlord attorneys. Um, and as an attorney, obviously you're presenting the evidence in a you know clear and meaningful way that really gets their defenses or counterclaims across. Um, and again, our clients are low income, um, pro se litigants with no training or experience in protecting their rights in court. So that's also sometimes our clients may say too much, right? And so as an attorney, of course, we'll be able to tailor that. Okay. And so we're going to go ahead and get started in summary process eviction. This is going to give you like um, a general overview of evictions in Massachusetts. So in Massachusetts, a landlord may not evict a tenant without first obtaining a court order, right? So there's no, you can't, I'm terminating your tenancy, so you have to leave in 30 days. No, you can, but you're not required to um, by law. And at least that says otherwise is illegal. What is a tenancy, right? Let's start with the basics. Um, the landlord owns the premises and intends for the tenant to have possession of the premises for some period of time in exchange for rent. Um, types of tenancies, as most of us are probably familiar with, right? There's a lease, usually has a start and end date, typically a year. Um, there's sometimes there's like renewal clauses in there, or what's the next slide we'll go into? Um, what happens when the when when the tenancy ends according to the lease but the tenant still remains in possession which is the tenancy at will our month-to-month tenancy which we see a lot oftentimes tenants have been living in the units for 10 years but they only had a lease in the first one or two years um many of them right there's no set date for it to end it's just continuous um the default tenancy where there's no lease again that's mostly what we see Lease expires, tenant still holds possession, landlord continues to accept the rent, right? That's a contract has formed, consideration was given, um, so therefore it's still a tenancy and subject to summary process rules, like the 14-day notice to quit um, or 30 days. And again, we'll go into that a little bit later. So there are three types of evictions in Massachusetts. Um, You know, most people hear the non-payment of rent, right? That's where... The landlord is alleging the tenant owes one month, 10 months, 100 months of rent, right? Something is owed to the landlord. Um, Here, the tenant can raise counterclaims against the rent claimed, um, and if the tenant loses, there's no law saying the court should consider a stay of execution. The stay of execution is at the very end of the eviction timeline, um, which we will get to. Um, And there's cause terminations. Um, No counterclaims can be brought here, um, and there's no law saying the court should consider that stay. Um, there are some affirmative defenses that tenants can raise um, when it comes to a cause eviction. Essentially, the cause eviction is saying the tenant, some way, somehow, has violated the terms of their lease or tenancy. Then there's no fault evictions where the tenant can bring the counterclaims, and if the tenant loses, the law says the court should consider a stay, depending, right? Because the no fault eviction is essentially saying the landlord is saying you didn't do anything wrong, you didn't violate the lease. And you also don't, don't own anything. The landlord is just seeking to regain possession of the property. So, how to terminate a tenancy? Um, so, to properly terminate a tenancy, you have to give notice, right? That notice, what we call notice to quit um, NTQ, there are a lot of acronyms around. Um, but essentially, that notice to quit is going to identify the adult household tenants, um, the address of the premises. The termination date, so when the tenancy is actually going to end, um, rent unpaid if if it's a non-payment case, and just like unequivocal termination language, right? the The tenant should be able to understand that the landlord is no longer seeking to rent this property to them. Um, the three types of notice to quit That's so typically the fourteen day notice, fourteen day notice to quit. That is for non-payment of rent, um, and that's going to be for mostly your market to rate tenants. Um, where tenants have some type of housing subsidy, which we will explore later as well, they are entitled to a 30 day notice to quit for non payment of rent. And then the 30 day notice to quit is for any other reason, which would be that cause, allegation, or a no fault. Tenants are entitled to 30 days. Um, sometimes the lease specifies an amount. I actually just um, met with a client in court the other day, and I think he had his lease, and I did see the lease. It said seven day notice to quit for. Any reason outside of non-payment of rent, so it was saying if it was a no-fault or a cause reason, he got a seven-day notice to quit. Versus if it was non-payment, fourteen. That was in the lease. Here's just a sample of what a thirty-day notice to quit may look like. As you can see, it has the date, right of the time it was served. Um, it explains what it is tenant's name, the address, and signed by the landlord. There's also this reservation of landlord rights, right? So essentially it's saying, I'm terminating your tenancy, but in the meantime, before I get that court order, you have to continue paying your rent, and your rent is going to be what's called use and occupancy and not really rent. So it's not recreating a tenancy. Where a notice to quit fails to have this reservation of rights language, there's an argument that the landlord created a new tenancy by accepting that rent. So some subsidized housing, um, subsidized housing, essentially, where a tenant is paying their rent based on typically 30% of their gross income. Um, There's different types. And most people are probably familiar with your Section 8 programs. There's um, the federal section 8 is federally funded, but there's also the MRVP, which is the Massachusetts State Section 8 program. Um, There's low income housing tax credit and then public housing, which are like the developments you would see across the city. Um, again, it's based on adult household income, um, tenants at subsidized housing, complete an annual recertification for their rent. Um, so if, you know, if their rent, they they meet, they meet with their worker and kind of go over everything, but then if changes occur during the, you know, middle of the year or something before their recertification, they should report those changes, especially anything to income, whether it's an increase or decrease, as well as any like household uh, member changes. Um, we will often see that tenants are are terminated for failure to recertify or adequately report income because that is a requirement of their subsidized lease. Section eight eviction. So yeah, that's the most common um, subsidized housing program that we have in Massachusetts. Um, And so an owner owner may only terminate the tenancy because of serious or repeated violations of the lease. So that's the cause um, eviction I was referring to. Um, again, violation of federal or state or local law that imposes obligations on the tenant in connection with the occupancy or use of the premises. Again, the thing is related to cause, um, criminal activity or alcohol abuse or other good cause attributable to the family, and that's in the um, in the first year of the lease. Um a tenant can also be terminated for other good cause kind of after that first year. And there are so many other nuances and rules to subsidized housing, um, which we won't really get into, but it's just something to be mindful of, especially where a subsidized tenant is being evicted, because especially if it's a, what we call like a mobile section eight voucher, meaning they can use that um, at any property, right, across the state or across the country, I should say, Um, there's an eviction from the landlord and then there's the subsidy termination. So they're separate. So... Um, We always wanna keep that in mind when advising tenants who are subsidized. And so when the notice to quit has expired, so as I had said before, right, the notice to quit has to give that end date, whether it's a 14 day, 30 day, seven day notice to quit. Um, Again, the tenant doesn't have to move out at the end of that period, but that's just when the landlord can then file the case in district court or housing court and actually you know, seek the court's permission to remove the tenant. Um. So yeah, housing um, eviction cases can be filed in District Court in Massachusetts. And the tenant has the right to transfer the case to housing. It's an automatic right to transfer the case to housing court, and at least if it's before a trial takes place. So even if the trial is scheduled, as long as before the trial takes place, they can do that. Um, Leland may not bring the case right until the notice period has fully expired. Otherwise, that's grounds for dismissal. Um, and the another has to begin this case by serving and filing a summons and complaint. Um, and the reason for the eviction, identifying the summons and complaint must match the reason in the notice to quit. Um, and I am going to pass it to Adrian to discuss the summons and complaint.
1: All right, thank you, Rochelle. Uh, so yeah, so summons and complaint uh, and same process. Um, in, in the Commonwealth, um, the landlord well, tenant is actually able to win an eviction case uh that's actually not necessarily true in a few other states um so if the landlord doesn't initiate the case properly like uh Rochelle mentioned earlier like w- with the notice to quit if it's deficient in one way or another um it doesn't state the cause its the, d- the dates are wrong etc um we can get that dismissed and yeah, tenant wins or um if the landlord and otherwise like fails their end, usually uh, any terms in the lease or just like general accepted um, duties of a landlord. If they fail with those, and again, our, our client can win the uh, eviction case. Um, yeah, and by winning, they get to either stay in the apartment and or uh, get money damages. Uh, we'll explain that later with the counterclaims. All right. Um, so once in, if and when a, a tenancy is properly terminated um, with the notice to quit that expires, uh, the landlord um, may serve the tenant with summons complaint. So that's that where it kicks off. Um, it must be served by a sheriff or a constable uh, of the client. Um, it gives the reason for eviction, which I like stated earlier, it has to match the notice to quit. Um, the court in which it was filed. Uh, by what date and uh, where the tenants should send a response. Uh, typically, uh, 70% of the time, uh, it would be to, or some percent of the time, to the attorneys. Uh, this is what it looks like. The summary process summons a complaint. So um, therein lies the information uh, that we listed uh, previously. All right, during the, pando, uh, the pandemic, um, some of his complaints had a um, <clears throat> had the trial date and the answer deadline included, um, but since the standing order uh, 6-20, it created this two-tier system. So now, like, the trial date wasn't going to be there because there's a mediation for Tier 1, and then trial itself is Tier 2. Um, after June 5th, now that you know, uh, they'll be scheduled for in-person uh, beginning, that and that began July of this past year, of this very year. Yeah, same thing with the courts, they're using a 2 tier system, uh, but they're using it as case management conferences, not mediation. All right, um, tenants get to do a, a answer discovery request in response to uh, the summons and complaint. Um, it has to be filed and served on an opposing party or opposing counsel um, at least three days before the day, three business days, sorry, of the first uh, tier one mediation date. This is really the the uh, client has a chance, there's tenant slash client has a chance to make the jury demand um, and and state counterclaims against the uh, attorney. Um, if it's after the deadline, you'd have to do a motion to uh, allow a late answer and discovery, Unfo- but Unfortunately, the downside of that would be that the likely loss of the jury uh, demand. Right. That's what the answer form looks like. This, um, yeah, is a template. There, um, I should talk about made later. Hold that thought. Okay. So this is what it looks like. Right. So mediation. Is where these cases go to negotiate. This meet to remediation. There is a um, both parties show up. Um, they can refuse to participate, they can show and be like, I'm not gonna. Um, but they have to show up. So, um, excuse me, I'm sorry. And mediation provides a like a chance to uh negotiate with um, without having to get into a courtroom. Um, it's mediated by a housing specialist at um, at the housing clerk's uh, office. Again, the goal is to, to reach a, uh, a, uh, an agreement before having to go to trial. Um, oftentimes, again, our, our clients will be unrepresented. Um, and this is a sort of scary time for our clients because it does create a, substantial opportunity for their like lack of experience with the legal system and their knowledge with the complexity of this um, process to take advantage of that and wind up so that the client ends up worse off than they probably could have been. So as an advocate, like that's something we just have to keep an eye on um, and make sure we warn the clients about that and help them when we can, when we see it happening. and with that i send it back to my colleague rochelle
0: thank you um so yes that mediation as adrian had described is like right it's the first step and for some of our clients they may know how evictions work or they may have some court experience but majority of them never been to court before they don't even know like you know next steps and so mediation is kind of like you know, hopes the parties can settle, resolve the case, air out their grievances, right, prior to going before a judge or a jury on the case. Um, So for that, we'll you know, again, tenants are often not represented, so they are, they get kind of, you know, pushed into these bad agreements because essentially it's like, you know, their whole goal is I need to save my housing, right, if, if the housing is, is worth saving to them, right, they want to save their housing. So, yeah, you're going to assign whatever agreement. you're probably not going understand it. The housing specialists are supposed to go over each and every term of the with the tenants, but sometimes we find that that's not always the case So tenants come back and say they were pressured or they didn't understand something. Um, but you know, if the parties don't resolve the case at mediation, then comes a summary process trial, which could either be a bench trial or a jury trial. Um, you know, again, tenants often appear before the judge without an attorney um. They don't need to use any legal language. Um, they just need to explain their case so the judge understands the issues, facts, and arguments. Uh, right. So, Like I said, well, I think we'll get a little bit later. We'll get into like, like breach of warranty, habitability, breach of quiet enjoyment, like certain defenses where the tenant's not really gonna know that language, but they know that their heat isn't working or that their stove is not working, right? And the judge can then assess that and not looking for this special lawyer talk. Um, so the goes first, right? They're the plaintiff, they're the ones that brought the case. So they will present their evidence. Um, that they have to support their case. If it's a non-payment case, it's it's typically a payment. of well, if it's a non-payment case, and it's the property management company. They'll have a payment ledger and and probably have a property manager attend and just testify to that. If it's a your individual landlord, um, uh, I believe they, I'm, you know, they would have to same show a type of like sheet of what is, has been unpaid. Um, their bookkeeping is usually different. Um. The judge yeah the judge will allow whether the evidence is admissible or to enter to the record and enter into the record the tenant can object and um cross-examine the witnesses which of course sounds really hard for a layperson to do that but yes they, they can actually cross-examine witnesses um and again they put on their case and the, the ten- which should mostly be the tenant themselves or if they have any witnesses with them um the judge would take the case under advisement and then send a written decision to the parties. Um, so what happens when the landlord wins the case? Um, again, the court will take it under advisement. The judge isn't on certain motion hearings. the judge may, you know, issue a decision from the bench or write it right there and write it in there but for trials. they usually do not. Um, so once that decision is actually issued, um whether the judgment is in favor, judgment of whether it's a monetary judgment, judgment of possession, it's in favor of either side. There's a ten day appeal period. um. The tenant can wait. Then so nothing can really happen after the judgment has entered. After that ten day per- day period, on the eleventh day, the landlord, if they won the case, they can request an execution from the court. So even if the landlord wins the case and judgment enters in their favor, they still have to take an extra step and request this execution. Which this execution is essentially saying, you know, judgment entered on this state for possession. We won. I want to take this, you know, to a constable or sheriff, and then actually get a forty-eight hour notice. Against the tenant, which is the actual like eviction notice, the actual notice that says you have to vacate. Um, the levy date is when the when the sheriff will come. You can't levy um, on the holidays or on the weekends. so kind of a sample execution issue. It looks like um, again the, the landlord has to request this after judgment and only on that eleventh day after a final judgment. So there's a say of executions. Um, so it's you know where where judgment has entered, but it's precluded from being executed on for a specified period of time. And also I should say sometimes in the judge's decision, if judgment is in favor of the landlord, you know they'll say execution will issue accordingly, right? Or they say execution cannot issue until a certain time. Sometimes the judge may say that, particularly in your no fault cases, right? Not your cause or non-payment, but in a no fault case. Um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, sometimes they have, or they can give a say. And they, I see the judges are more reluctant to give the stays in your fault or non payment cases, but they will do it in the non payment case if the tenant can actually like start paying use and occupancy. Um, in order to stop the execution, right, the tenant has to file a motion to stay. So, after judgment enters, right, landlord gets that, gets judgment, they, they request the execution, the court has to then issue the execution. Then the landlord, the tenant, I'm sorry, can file a motion to stay, meaning stop the execution for a list of reasons. Um, typically here, sometimes it's like sympathetic reasons, or in a non-payment case that they have rental assistance application pending, um, and so forth. So courts can grant up to six months in any case, which I have not seen that far. Um, or up to twelve months, um, in no fall cases where there's someone that is six year over or disabled, um. But the court will consider each party's hardships and like i said for the non-payment cases like if the tenant can show i can make some use in occupancy payments the judge may allow this day and also a stay i'm sorry an execution is only good for three months as well so if london hasn't levied on an execution in the three months it's expired and they have to go back and request a new one from the court and with a 48-hour notice um typically looks like they serve on a day and i'd say it's like it's titled 48 hour notice, but for example, a tenant is served, if they're served that on a Friday, right? Like I said, you can't levy on the weekend. So typically the date, the time and date to actually leave would be that Tuesday morning, but we'll see what this is a 48 hour notice. <coughs> so some options after 48 hour notices, like we said, was that seeking that stay, um, you know, they're not able to move out because when the, Sheriff does come, and knows it was on the slides, but I didn't really mention it. Essentially, they're saying they have this court order and they're going to put your things in storage, right? Um, the landlord pays for that first month, but I believe the expense then turns on to the, the tenant. Um, if a default judgment was entered, so that's a little bit different than a final judgment, right? A final judgment is typically either an agreement has been made or... Um, they went to trial and there was a judgment, the judge issued an order. And a default judgment, that means if the tenant fails to, like the mediations, I was speaking of, if they fail to attend a mediation or if they fail to attend trial, the court could issue a default judgment. And essentially it's the you know, tenant loses, not based on the merits, but because you just didn't appear for court. And so there's like a standard to remove a default judgment, it's a two-pronged test. Um, but we always strongly encourage to kind of, that's, where we have to, that's where we have to kind of start, right? Cause that's what got us here in the first place. So it's like, let's remove the default judgment and then let's obviously do the motion to um, stay the execution as well. Um, if Libby is to go forward, like we say always get your important belongings together, clothes, medicine, et cetera. Um, hopefully the tenant is able to stay with family or to some sort, um, we can give shelter resources, but that, you know, it's just really difficult. Um, And sometimes the landlord might be willing to right let you get everything out or give you like a little bit more time depends and i will pass it back to adrian
1: every time um so now we're going to talk about temporary restraining orders or tro's um so, they can also be filed in certain situations um, in order to essentially have the court order uh, landlord to um, basically fulfill their duties, such as uh, making repairs, um, returning uh, basically that the client back into their apartment after an illegal lockout, um, and you know, other similar circumstances. Um, when going to a TRO hearing, the tenant should bring evidence. Um, In order to show the judge why to present to the judge as to why they need uh, the uh, court to order the landlord to act, Um, most of our clients will end up asking for an affidavit of indigency so they can have their uh, fees uh, waived, as most of them are, you know, because we will have low income clients. Um, It is a very quick turnaround to get a hearing, usually. often uh, right away or, again, very there shortly thereafter. Um, the, the Obviously, no more services involved. You need to serve the landlord. Um, the client then just tells the judge what's going on and what the tenant wants the court to do based on the circumstances. Um, and then as far as the client, just listen carefully to the decisions, get a copy of the written order, um, granting or denying whatever the request was. Next, there you go. Okay, rental assistance. Um, Many of our clients um, do are either do apply or will end up applying or have applied rental assistance. Um, Here, primarily RAFT, a rental assistance for families in (laughs) in transition. Um, The threshold is as long as it's like, is uh, based off the uh, area median income. So, which is um, 50% of that or 60% with proof of uh, domestic violence. Um, it is currently capped at $7,000, uh, award of $7,000 for every 12 months. Um, for applications submitted after the first of, this, of last year, um, there has to be a notice to quit and arrears. There wasn't before. Now they need to present an actual like, notice to quit. Um, for private market tenants, a stipend is available, available, but it, it won't go beyond that $7,000 cap. In order to get a ref funds, um, so if a tenant is over that 7,000 uh, cap, in order to receive that 7,000, if there is, when there's more arrearage than the 7,000, I'm sorry, that's very confusingly word, worded, um, They uh, then need to provide proof that there's some other arrangement or agreement for uh, funding that will cover what's the remaining uh, arrearage. Um, Under mass law, um, a court shall continue uh, non-payment evictions if there is a pending application. So this is a hard, like, shall. It pauses it while the uh, RAFT gets processed, the RAFT application or other uh, program applications get uh, processed. Sorry. Um, The TPP, the Tenancy uh, Preservation Program, um, is a program set in place to prevent um, and maintain, to prevent homelessness and maintain uh, tenancy. applies to tenants who are being evicted due to um, a result of um, some sort of behavior related to a disability. Um, Oftentimes, we see this as like a mental health uh, issue um, that arises up and presents itself in negative behavior, behavior that is disruptive, et cetera. Um, And so that would apply, this TP would apply to those clients. TB is a neutral party um, in determining whether or not the disability can be accommodated um, as, so the tenancy can be preserved. So a tenant can stay in their apartment unit, et cetera. Um, Sorry, Go ahead.
0: Sorry, I'll just jump in really briefly here. There was a question in the chat essentially asking what was like the reason for why a tenant should transfer their case to housing court over district court. And this is one of those reasons is that you have programs available like the tenancy preservation program. As the next point is that they're literally they're literally located in the court office, so they can come down to mediation, or sometimes the the judge will actually order the tenant, you know, connect with them, and so forth. So having them just right there, you know, easily access easily accessible. Although of course, a judge or mediator can offer that in the district court, but at least in the housing court, they're there. A boss in housing court at least.
1: Thank you, Rochelle. Right, and now um. Next, some defenses and counterclaims, which we uh, vaguely mentioned earlier, um, to summary process motion cases. Um, there's two procedural ones. One we, again, covered earlier, the notice to quit um, defects, um, missing information, um, date, et cetera, reason, cause, numbers, or number of days uh, that we covered earlier. Or it's not filed properly. Usually, sometimes it's like they um, file before that expiration of notice. It can be the filing expiration before uh, before the expiration of notice to quit, um, it um, being filed in the wrong court, it not matching the notice to quit, et cetera. So these things are procedural defenses that we you, uh, you can do a motion to dismiss uh, for. Um, there's several substantial defenses. We'll, we'll start off with retaliation. Um, so with retaliation, it's assumed an eviction is retaliatory. If it happens within six months of the tenant taking a protected uh, activity, could that be protected activity such as asking for repairs to the unit, um, some sort of complaint of uh, other of conditions to the landlord themselves or ISD. Um, if they file a court action claim against uh, the uh, landlord, also if they engage in like a tenant's meeting, uh, there's a few others. Um, that I can't list off to of my head. Um, and then these, uh, again, if, if there's an eviction uh, process started within six months of any of these, um, it is presumed to be retaliation. Um, sort of related discrimination, reasonable accommodation, um, sort of the general anti discrimination you can't discriminate against someone's sex, gender, national origin, color, creed sexual orientation, age, ancestry, or marital status, or because they're a veteran of the armed forces or if they are disabled. So we are generally familiar with uh, these protected uh, populations. Um, a reasonable accommodation, again, somewhat related, um, or quite related, is a defense to tenants who have um, suffer with a mental, mental or physical disability, um, an impairment, um, substantially limits one or more major life activities um there has to be uh it has to be related there has to be a nexus uh between um why the tenant did what they did based off of their disability what what does disability had um impacted the tenant so they behave in such a way um it's a request to like a modification basically it's an accommodation it's asking the landlord to change a policy a procedure put something in um Rent per se um, to change so that the tenant so that the tenant is able to stay. Um, it applies to nearly all housing. There's very few exceptions, um, which we'll talk about. Um, it must be reasonable. The request uh, it's reasonable if it is not an undue financial burden or an administrative burden. It's just too hard to administer, um, or it fundamentally uh, alters the nature of the program. It makes it. I don't know, I actually don't know what that looks like. Have you seen that, Rochelle?
0: Um, repeat that again.
1: The does not fundamentally alter the nature of the program.
0: Yeah, so there's always this one example that kind of goes around. It's like uh, I think it was like someone who is um, for example, someone who is not blind, but maybe maybe legally blind, um, and they want like larger print on certain documents. And so, you know, that. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. That's more so, well, it could alter it. No, that's more so, sorry, like a financial burden, right? If the property management company had to print things like super large for them to see. So sorry, to fundamentally alter the nature of the program, that one I would say, actually is a good example. It's maybe, I would say more so in cases where the tenant has broken the lease in a way that is a danger. To other residents and guests on the property, and so I've had situations where tenants have attacked others on the property, or have like you know yelled some like racial language outside of their window and things like that. But it was you know connected to their disability, and but for certain things going on with the disability, with um their medication or their therapy, you know that's why that occurred. But if it's something that actually like will harm another resident, I that that will definitely fundamentally alter the nature of any program, right? Like landlords will still have that obligation to other residents not to subject them to like danger.
1: Okay, cool. Thank you. Yeah, I haven't seen one of those yet. I can think of an example. um thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um and as far as raising um sorry requesting a reasonable accommodation, the like one can be requested up and until um during trial. So there's um yeah there's that.
0: Yeah, I've seen one requested during an emergency motion to stay the levy. Actually, and I represented the tenant, so essentially, yeah, <laughs> we did that one. The very that's like the very end, right? That was a Tuesday afternoon. The, the levy was supposed to take place Wednesday morning at nine a.m.
1: And these, uh this defense is not just available for when it's uh, for a for cause, um, but otherwise, so a, a dis- disabled tenant still has the you know equal opportunity to enjoy their tenancy. All right. So more um, in no fault or non-payment cases, we have one, the breach of warrant of habitability, um, which many that you are likely familiar with, but it's when a place is like in disrepair in such a way that it poses a danger uh, to occupants, whether it be their health or their safety. Um, and the defense and counterclaim here would be um, that the value of the apartment has decreased. So like they've been paying they've been being billed more than what it's worth. They're being overcharged. And so that is um, one counterclaim. Uh, breach of uh, work, uh, habitability, sorry. Um then there's a breach of quiet enjoyment, which is uh, an interference with the tenant's use. So this is less so safety related um, as opposed to um, let's say more of like there's uh, other tenants or some sort of uh, danger or nuisance that the tenant um, <clears throat> that is the landlord's responsibility but has not been taken care of. like it, it is interfering with someone's use uh, of their of their apartment, their unit. Um, again, this could be uh, a tenant can sue for money damages under this uh, claim, um which is actual damages or three times the rent, whichever is more, um, which is I mean treble damages. OK, um, in this, again, for no-fault or non-payment cases, there's a violation of security deposit law, um, which requires landlord to account, an interest-bearing account, uh, and provide, um, in general speaking, provide an accounting of, of what they're doing with that money to the uh, tenant. If they don't do that, then, um, again, that's a, counter, that, that, that's a counterclaim, and uh, damages can be sought, money damages can be sought. Um, Also 93A, the unfair and deceptive practices law, applies to landlords uh, most uh, in a few cases. Um, It does not apply if there is, if it's a two family owner, like a two family owner occupied uh, of a unit or apartment slash building, um, if it's the only one they own. It, if it's a three-family owner-occupied and they use that the rent money primarily for mortgage or other bills and stuff like that, then that is also exempt from ninety-three A. Nonprofit housing providers and housing authorities are also um, like it, this does not apply to to them. Okay, um, some more defenses. These are in cause convictions. Um, one being that the behavior or whatever the lease violation is was not shown. Um, essentially, it wasn't me. Like the tenant is like, I didn't do this. Um, is the is that defense? There's a reasonable accommodation defense, uh, which we mentioned earlier. That the reason uh, this violation, the reason for the violation, was a result of or or reasonably connected to the this the tenant's disability. And there's the sort of more policy principle of the avoidance of forfeiture, which is um, doing the best to keep a tenant um, with a tenancy. There's uh, <clears throat> basically preventing uh, homelessness and not having people. Um, they try to re- uh, find a way to resolve the issue with like something that benefits both sides. Like if it's a, like a dog issue, getting rid of the dog, um, being allowed to cure rent, even though it's you know it's past like the required permissibility <clears throat> time period um, and other things like that. We're agreeing not to play the car the stereo late at night. Um, and I am handing it back off to Rochelle.
0: Thank you. So the next few slides, I uh, will that you guys kind of have just like the basics of where to start with housing eviction cases. Is really just you know how our pro bono attorneys can get involved um, and actually representing um tenants and then what that looks like. Because it's, it's gonna look different. There's different ways um volunteers can volunteer with our organization, especially in the housing unit. Um, and you can almost like build build up your, your case level or expertise in housing. So we can go ahead and get started. Um, so the first I would say is the lawyer for the day clinic. Um so that's what a BLP and other legal aid organizations, as well as some of the law schools around the city, run at the Eastern um, House of Courthouse downtown. Um, essentially there we're meeting tenants, you know, for the first time. Some have trial scheduled for that day, some have a motion hearing, some have very emergency motion to stay, and others may have that first mediation, right? And some are just there because they're experiencing some, you know, trouble with their housing. They want some advice or some assistance. So that's always like a really great opportunity just to see how everything works um in the downtime you can just like witness housing cases kind of see how landlord attorneys and tenant attorneys or pro se tenants just argue motions and things like that um we also have our virtual answer discovery clinic and i think that's like the very very beginning right um and i actually believe the next slides go into all three um in more detail but yes our answer discovery clinic is virtual that is through our organization and so we run that every thursday Um, Then there's a limited and full representation in cases. Okay, so yeah, so the Lawyer for the Day Clinic, this is when VLP is staffing the clinic on these days, the first, third, fourth, and fifth Tuesday of each month. Other organizations also pick up that second Tuesday and Thursdays. Um, And, you know, essentially it's an opportunity to meet clients in person and really kind of just like issue spot, right? Because they're going to tell you a whole, whole bunch of facts, some relevant, some not. Um, and it's for you to really decide, you know, what is important in terms of to be able to provide them that advice or maybe some drafting if we know it's a quick, like, procedural or technical motion to dismiss. Um, I mean, represent them in mediation, really just saying, you know, this is what they're seeking, this is what they're willing to give, but really having that conversation with the other attorney um, and a mediator, obviously, um, handling the, the case there's also motion hearings sometimes maybe the tenant themselves like I said that motion to remove a default that's always a great opportunity because I think it's pretty straightforward essentially um two grounds to move a motion or to move motion to default are did you have good cause for not appearing or missing that court event that day right and for the most part typically it's yeah I didn't get the letter from the attorney or from the court in the mail so I didn't attend if I got the letter I would have appeared right so that's typically what we hear I will say tenants are going to have to do a little extra nudge over that hurdle just because sometimes judges are just like well you know the postal system is reliable and it wasn't returned back to the court so yeah you got it which we know is not the case right things get lost in the mail especially where tenants are have like trouble with their housing some of them like don't have access to the mailbox key or that's like their mail is being stolen. Like there's just so many different variables um, that sometimes I find the tenant really can't articulate and the judges sometimes aren't willing to hear, but if an attorney is representing them, we can get those removed. And then after that, the next step would be, do you have some type of defense to this litigation against you? And it is not that you'd win on your defenses, just that you have something, right? So you non-payment case, there's bad conditions, you reported them to the landlord, gave them notice, and so you started withholding your rent. You don't have to prove you know, all the elements there. It's just like, that's why I withheld my rent. That is a um, defense. I also think in cause cases, the landlord is alleging you harassed or attacked your neighbor. I didn't do that. That's a defense, right? Um. And so, I, I'm sorry, I, was just, I just got into that, but that's really just like a brief, brief motion where I think you can kind of pick up and start with, and it can only be limited to that, right? We can provide the assistance limited to that day. So you don't have to take the case on um, you know, and do further work unless you want to, of course, and we strongly encourage that, but just know that it could just be for that limited purpose. Um, and VLP staff attorneys are always there to mentor, supervise, and assist, of course.
1: Okay. <clears throat> and yeah, I'll take over uh, some limited assistance representation, or LAR. Um, so we're able to do limited assistance, or I guess you, uh, limited assistance representation uh, because of Standing Order One Dash Ten, which took effect in November of twenty ten, which um, <clears throat> allows a, a qualified attorney to assist a uh, pro se litigant um, on a limited basis, without having to take on further responsibility or further uh, do each represent like representation. Essentially, it's a one shot, um, where you where you agree to. Um, assist this, this client, again, on this one uh, occasion. <clears throat> in order for, for, to do limited assistance representation at the housing court, um, there is a self-certifying course uh, you have to take. You don't have to, ever, you don't have to present the certification document in court or anything, but you just have to take the, the, the course. Um, by submitting the LAR, you're telling the course that you are certified, that you did take uh, the self-certifying course. Um, if you are going to represent a client in mediation or any other court event, um, just make sure that you serve uh, the notice of a limited uh, <clears throat> assistance to the opposing party, as well as uh, the court. Um, and when, when you withdraw <clears throat> with your uh, limited assistance, then again, you file that as well with the court and the uh, opposing party. Keep copies for your records. Um, That should go without saying, but keep copies for your records. Um, The action discovery, as we talked about earlier, is the client's opportunity to respond to the um, complaint for eviction. Um, Yeah, and so at our clinic, um, we set up uh, two. So we have appointments at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. to each on, um, th- on the, uh, the Thursday, every Thursday of the month. Um, what we do there, we schedule these. We have, the um, uptenants tenants go through this form uh, that GBOS has, the Massachusetts Defense for Eviction form or Made form um, is, is sort of like fill in the blank, populate questions sort of form that um, we have volunteer attorneys, you all ideally. Um, help the clients uh, complete. You we, we walk through them, uh, put in facts, defenses that are applicable, uh, facts that support those defenses, et cetera, with the client um, in order to prepare, to you know, be able to have a submission ready. Um, during, at these clinics, a VLP attorney is always um, available to answer questions. Uh, it's via Zoom. So we sort of hang out in a different um, like breakout room while uh the volunteer attorney uh the client the paralegal sometimes an intern or a shadow, um sit in there so we're available for uh, any questions uh while you're with the client. Um once the forms are completed through the made uh web app, you uh will then share it with us uh with VLP we'll finalize them do some edits etc. Have the client sign them and then we will e-file uh for them. Um, to join us at the Answer and Discovery Clinic, um, which you should. It's a great time. Um, There's an online sign-up sheet um, where you all can select the day um, and the two-hour time slot you'd like to uh, volunteer at. You can do... um, You can work alone. You can work with a pair. Oftentimes, there's uh, attorney or intern who sit in and will um, shadow. Um, Yeah, often uh, requested by uh, new attorneys. Um, it's not a walk-in, like I mentioned earlier. We schedule, we schedule these slots um, after screening the clients for eligibility and um, getting retainers and that administrative part, uh, upfront part taken care of. Um two-hour shifts, like I said. So the, the volunteer time is also two hours. Uh, we provide the information, the case documents like the notice to quit, the summons to summons a complaint, and any other pertinent documents. Um, We get you all the Zoom links, um, and before you talk to the clients, we have a little case review session where, because we are more familiar with the case as you're being brought into it, um, present a summary of the facts of what's happening, potential defenses that we see as we're looking at the case docs and the the case facts, um, and information you might want to elicit from the client. Uh, to see if they lead to other defenses. So that's sort of, you know, like upfront uh, prep uh, mm-hmm. case review work before we send you into the room with the client. Um, oftentimes, uh, our client's the representation be um, beyond answer discovery and the like one opportunity at the lawyer for the day clinic um, that we hold at, at the Suffolk Courthouse. Um, there's also stuff like drafting motions, visitation um, at like motion uh, hearings, like <clears> the <throat> motion to um, dismiss, for example, um, in, in mediation negotiation. So there is many opportunities for uh, one-shot um, chances at uh, volunteering and helping clients out, um, limited. <clears throat> There's also full representation. Um, if you want to take on a full rep case, which is always awesome. Um, And then whether you choose to provide a limited or full presentation, you are always assigned a staff attorney or mentor to support you. So questions, concerns, we, VLP is there to uh, assist and support our volunteers. Uh, Trainings. We uh, offer, VLP itself offers uh, basic housing training uh, for, uh, yeah, which is similar to this. There is also a Made and Answer and Discovery training specific to the MADE form that I mentioned earlier. And again, the uh, LAR certification that we uh, also spoke about earlier. Um, Yeah, and you only need to do it one time. And if there are any questions, I mean, I guess there are. I see the question.
0: There's one question in the chat just regarding, uh, can we get the recording of this meeting? I believe BBA will be handing out the recording, or they're the ones who have access to that. Um, I did answer some of the other questions in the chat, but please let me know if my answer was not hard to understand, or if you have any more follow-up questions. And then as well as any other questions, I think you guys can come off mute and ask the questions. It's entirely up to you.
1: If not, I will.
0: We can make the I believe we can make because we can send the PowerPoint to the BBA to distribute. I believe.
1: Yeah. We should be able to.
0: How often any and how often are eviction trials done in district court as opposed to housing court? Um, to be honest, I don't have the exact answer for that. Mostly because we operate in housing court, but um, I'm going to have to assume that majority of them are in housing court. So like I said, we're in, we kind of operate out of the Eastern housing court, which is like Suffolk County, um, which includes like Chelsea, Somerville, Cambridge, but there's also like Metro South, um, Western housing court, Northeast, like that covers kind of all the areas of Massachusetts. It's like six or eight towns, right? Kind of are assigned to a certain housing court. Um, But then, yeah, technically the case can be filed in the district court that's associated with that address. Um, But I'm going to say majority are in housing court, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're done in in district court. And to be honest, most of the cases, the housing cases that we see that are filed in district court are going to usually come from your pro se um, landlords, right? That's, they got that information from their local court, they went straight there. Or attorneys who don't practice too often in landlord-tenant law, because for the most part your typical landlord attorneys, they'll file in housing court anyway, because they know it'll get just transferred, but also they're just more familiar with that process as well. Um, but it, I would say majority should, would be in housing court, but but I really, I guess I just don't know how many are filed in district court. I know we handle a lot that we help with transfers sometimes, like for our answer and discovery clinic, we can, we may be able to assist there. Um, but there's also more district courts in the state than housing court. So maybe they're more in there, but can a law student volunteer how and where um so yes definitely if the law student is 303 that that would that would be great as well um they can volunteer at the lawyer for the day clinic um you know again still under the supervision of the staff attorneys um we also have an internship program that is available for law students which you know it's through the course of a semester whether it's spring summer fall um or the answer discovery clinic, you know, we ask that you shadow a few times before you um do that by yourself with the client, but there's definitely opportunities for law students as well. Both I for the both I think they have the same authority, both district and housing courts. It's just I think I was explaining before, I think they I think the housing court judges, right? That's all they're in front of is just housing cases and so they have more of like the substantive knowledge of like, you know, with the more up-to-date case laws and things like that um, on housing court, but the district court judge is technically still under that. So if it's a district court, so if it's an eviction case filed in district court, they're still subject to summary process rules um, as well as Massachusetts civil procedure, both of them would uh, do both. So there's no, there shouldn't be any difference in authority regarding different courts. Um, pro bono, was a time commitment? Um, so I wish our pro bono manager was here. There's no real um time commitment requirement. You know, you, like I said, a lawyer for the day, you could do a half day, full day. Um. So there's no like hourly requirement for our interns. We do require, I believe at least 12 hours a week, but for our pro bono volunteers, no. And then, you know, that's the same. If you guys take on a limited assistance case or a, um, full-time case that's you know it's entire, that's entirely up to you that's like the beauty of it right you're the volunteer you get to choose your hours and things like that um and does this lead to, lead to paid work um so our blp is also always hiring I believe we have a couple staff attorney and paralegal positions available on our website so you're definitely you know more than welcome to apply there as well and then yeah if you've been a volunteer with us i'm sure that looks really great to the hiring committee Thank you for your questions. Really great questions, everyone.
1: No one came in. Are there opportunities for law students that are not 303 certified? There are, (laughs) right?
0: There are. I would say, I would say for law students who aren't 303, I would strongly encourage the internship. right the internship program to come in because there's definitely opportunities so our internship program we also take undergraduate students right so there's definitely opportunities to help there but i but where a law student is not not 303 i mean for the most part you would just be really shadowing that lawyer for the day you know maybe you'll speak with review a case speak with the attorney um but you know you really can't give that advice about being an attorney um Law students can, they also can do the Answer and Discovery Clinic, because again, that's supervised by our staff attorneys, so you can do that as well. Um, I would strongly encourage, yeah, the internship program right now, I believe applications are open for spring, and then summer applications open up like late January, February.
1: Yeah, I think it's February, yes. Um. other types of cases besides summary process eviction cases well in the housing civil there is um probably maybe the most frequent would be affirmative uh conditions case like so suing the the landlord for not fixing conditions is one example i'm sure there's uh rochelle could share more
0: yeah we recently met someone well kind of long story but essentially his his mom passed and had i guess the the property was inherited by like seven siblings and one of the yeah. siblings essentially locked him out, um, so he got an order from the court saying that you can't do that, because you can't. That's right, there's no self-help evictions in Massachusetts, so you can't um, do a legal lockout. So he got a court order from the court saying, it's a civil case, right? But saying, yeah, allow him on the property. You can't um, lock each other. No one can lock each other out of the property, especially where there's that joint ownership. Um like Adrian said regarding the conditions, those cases, um, When there are horrendous conditions in the unit and the tenant, while they're Boston residents, they can report those conditions to Inspectional Services Department, ISD. ISD will then come out and inspect the unit and cite the landlord for any violations and then give the landlord a certain amount of time to fix those violations, right? Um, And if the the landlord fails to do that, technically the ISD can bring the case against the landlord, and that would be also in housing court under the civil docket, or not to get too complicated here, but or under a criminal docket. But um, yes, so there's all those other cases, not just eviction and housing, but in terms of other subject areas, like like if it's a family law or personal injury, no, no. It's all gonna be related to some sort of of housing. Um, I also would always suggest to, to clients too, because there's a small claims aspect of the housing court. And we always kind of suggest that sometimes small claims might be just faster If you are seeking damages under $7,000 in Massachusetts, it's pretty straightforward. That's always the route that tenants can take as well.
1: And that's so far the last question we have in the chat.
0: I'll stop my share screen. Yeah, thank you guys for your questions. Um, are small claims matters ad- always adjudicated by a clerk magistrate as opposed to a judge? Good question. Um, I was under the impression that the judges handle small claims as well. Um, the reason why is I just like sometimes offer it to tenants, like I said, I think that it just moves a little quicker, right? They fill out like a, a statement of claims alleging how much is owed and why. Um, but I believe that does go to a judge and then judgment can enter See a one more time if they're typing questions. Um. But yeah, we'll definitely make the PowerPoint available to the BVA. Um. It's really useful, and or if you're in law school and you're taking landlord tenant law, you know, be a little help as well.
1: Yeah, and please do consider volunteering. Um, with a volunteer lawyer sponsor. we could always need um uh, more volunteers. and more clients we can help, um, especially at lower for the day, the more the more clients we're able to help. Um, very much the better. And there's plenty of opportunities on Tuesdays at lower for the day.
0: There are no more questions, we're going to go ahead and conclude the presentation. Thank you.
1: Thanks, y'all.